Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Morgan Bauer, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. I am re-recording this intro uh, because when Brandon and I sat down a week ago, a little over a week ago, to record this episode, that was the first day that uh, police officers involved in the murder of George Floyd had been arrested. And, uh, and in those days since, so many things have progressed very quickly. Conversation is uh, progressing very quickly. Things are progressing very quickly. Not only are the officers' charges being increased, uh, but Minneapolis has recently voted to dismantle and rebuild uh, or commit to doing that, the, their police department, in a more equitable way. So originally we sat down to talk about social systems uh, and and taking on a system mindset and specifically as it, as it pertains to police departments uh, and the criminal justice system. But uh, since things have progressed so rapidly, that was a little stale. So uh, I wanted to basically splice off the tail end of that conversation because it kind of dovetailed into policing itself. And Brandon brought up some interesting points, some some really wise things to say about policing and policing behavior and what policing is, not just if you put on a uniform, but if you're trying to police other people's behavior, you know, like with the riders, if we say that, uh, you know, they shouldn't be doing that, but you really at the at the core of it have to look at why they're doing that and kind of hear their grievances beneath that surface. And so uh, that's what this conversation is going to be about. It's a little bit shorter of an episode, but I really hope that you enjoy listening to this and, uh, and can reflect on you know, what, what is happening when people police behavior uh, as a preservation of power, their own power, and, uh, and trying to uh, minimize uh, the, the validities uh, of other people. So uh, I'm going to turn that over to Brandon now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the policing is a huge part of this, right? I mean, it's, you know, I mean, this is what we're, you know, talking about today because of what happened in Minneapolis. But that's not exactly what happened in Atlanta, right? And it is what happened to Breonna Taylor, in a sense, right? And then the, the version of what's going on in Central Park is not necessarily policing, right? But I think that the point that you're making is that, you know, people are wanting to take on the identity of being the police, right? Like, I'm going to make sure that you're in that, not that you're doing something right, right? I'm not going to, it's it's not about sheltering from harm, right? It's not about saving babies or anything, you know, or saving people from bullets. This is about the preservation of power, <laughs> you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, right? Look at the Arbery case, right? This is about two people that were deputized informally, right, to take care to police in a neighborhood, quote unquote, police in a neighborhood. They made up their minds who was guilty, Right preservation of power. Okay. Brianna Taylor, right? This is a police informed thing, right? But this is powerful people breaking in to, to a house and then shooting without even recognizing, I mean, completely like, like, a, like, like not even availing to civil liberties at all. 
right? Um, and, uh, um, but it, it is a preservation of power, right? It is the privilege of those in power to exercise that power. Okay. Now we get to this woman in Central Park, right? She's weaponizing this whole thing, thinking that she's whatever, you know, so chummy with the police that she can call them, <laughs> you know, and say, hey, friend, oh, buddy, oh, pal of mine, <laughs> you know, um, uh, all the police. Let me just tell you this story about this black guy, right? Well, she's taking on the identity of the police. He's in the wrong in, in her opinion, and she's the arbiter of goodness and righteousness, right? Preservation of power, right? preservation of privilege and then same thing going on you know with uh with with george here in minneapolis may he rest in peace preservation or the exercise of power right um to the to those that are less powerful than than you and then people and this goes to your point about um just what you said about riots you know um and, and king also said that when riots break out, it is it is because the people haven't been listened to. It is because the people do not feel heard. They do not feel that 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 um, that they've been honored in belonging and with a voice to 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 the communities in which the police are supposed to be there to help defend, protect, and serve. Right. And now, when that trust is violated. People are, are like, no, we're not supposed to riot, right? So I think it is a really healthy discussion. You know, we're a little off base already when we're talking about systems thinking, but I think it's important or, or, or systems change. And it's important to recognize the inerrant bias, even when it comes to rioting versus not rioting, right? And what I mean by that is that Everyone will say, and I think, and I completely agree, right? This is not the most productive use of our time, right? I mean, there, there are people that are losing their lives on top of the coronavirus, right? Now we're shooting people in the streets, basically, and looting, you know, stores or whatever, and p other people's, um, you know, what they're bringing to, to, to the table in their businesses is getting wiped away because of this craziness, right? Okay. Um, let's just say that we were during like in the revolution, <laughs> right? And everybody loves to regale the tea party, right? And I mean, that was a freaking riot, <laughs> you know? It was like, let's take all the tea on this ship and throw it in the water, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just like <laughs> this, you know, but that's like such an important part of American history, right? It's an amazing part of American history that we just put a bow on and we regale it as though it's like, and I mean, we named an entire political regime called like we called it the tea party right i mean that's how much of it in terms of the ethos we took on right now mind you no one i don't think a lot of people died but i think some people did from you know some of the protests and things like that there was a context of all of that but it's likely that that that, that type of ideology and that and that kind of ex I, I wouldn't call it extremism but it, it was emphatic it was very emotional right um might have been some of the things that were fueling you know the um congressional baseball shooting for instance and the white nationalist extremism that happened there you know or or whatever you know so or the list goes on i think of a ton ton of examples there but as soon as black people are out there rioting we we want to call it non-productive or you know whatever it is and i think that that's true but i also think there's an inerrant bias in that oh yeah know? absolutely i'm glad you brought that up it was uh mlk's daughter tweeted this week, Bernie's King, uh, something that really convicted me, because in the past, I've been guilty of this, but she said, 
if you're unbothered or mildly bothered by the first knee, and there's a she she tweeted out a photo of Colin Kaepernick kneeling, an NFL player kneeling during the anthem, uh, out of his own you know expression of uh, of black grievances, uh, but you're not outraged by the a picture, and it's Chuck Chuck. I don't even know what, uh, how to say that word. <laughs> you can do uh, it. You can do it. <laughs> it's next to an image of the uh, the white officer uh, kneeling on George Floyd's neck, and she says, "If you're uh, if you're bothered by the first, Colin Kaepernick, but not bothered by the second, uh, then you are, in her father's words, who was Martin Luther King Jr., more devoted to order than to justice." And uh, that was something that I had to wrestle with because I'm I'm just by nature I'm a I'm a peacemaker I like things to be you know I, I don't like to ruffle feathers I don't like uh, choppy water uh, I really would just prefer that everybody get along but you know and it's I, I have thought about the the Tea Party in the past like would I have been opposed to that uh, or would I have been all on board would I have been up there dumping the tea out myself. Uh, probably not that, but we do look <laughs> back on it because our definition of justice um, is skewed toward that. And in this case, uh, not as much. We don't think that, uh, you know, this rioting or this disorderly conduct is uh, is a productive means of change. Because well, we don't feel like it's justified. I mean, we yeah. don't feel like it's justified. And I think that that's this is this is the tale of you know, two or three or four different Americas, right? With completely different stories, you know, about what is justified and what isn't. I mean, imagine, you know, what our mother England, you know, said, you know, uh, during during the time of the revolution, right? It's not justified, right? What they're doing isn't justified, right? But we're going to go to war anyway, <laughs> you know? And we're going to get the redcoats out here. We're going to kill them all. You see what I'm saying? They mm-hmm. They felt justified because, you know, that they're living in their perspective of it, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe there was some, some rational r- reasoning there. Honestly, I don't know. You know what I mean? But I think that at, at the end of the day, like there, there's a group of people that wanted to self-determine. And then there was a group of people um, that were in power that were not allowing for that self-determination to happen. And what is ironic about the whole thing is that the whole group of people were all about removing um, liberty and freedom from people that were of a different color skin than they were everyone calling the kettle black or the pot black or whatever we call it. Right. Everyone's just in hypocrisy, you know? Um, and especially when colonization happens, the first thing you do is you, you know, kind of abstract native American Indian and kill them too. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just like, yeah, we don't love being like controlled by our mother England, but we're more than happy to control and use, you know, these black and brown people as much as we'd like, you know, and then we want to pick and choose our stories today and say, well, that's justified, right? But this isn't. Like, a, a, a really good example is that, you know, the protests in Michigan, you know, for people that want to get back to work and want their states to open, right? Those protests are justified, right? For all intents and purposes, right? There's a little mm-hmm. bit of partisanship going on there. Right. But there is a significant backing of people, you know, who would say those protests are justified. Now, they're not rioting, you know, but some of them are getting a little rowdy, but they're not rioting. OK. And there there are some significant challenges, you know, with as far as I'm concerned, with a lot of the stay at home orders and, you know, how backed by science, you know, a lot of these a lot of these decisions are being made and then people are being, you know, whatever, you know, charged with X, Y and Z law 
violation when there is no violation because there's no law. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. an executive order, <laughs> you know. And um, you know, so that's that's one piece of the pie, you know. But then on the other side of the pie, you know, is this is is this whole example of like, well, this, you know, these black folks doing peaceful protesting, right? You know, it's not as justified because we have, because now we're living in a post-racial society, right? Because we had Obama. So now we're post-racial. So now we don't have to worry about any of those challenges anymore, right? And that's obviously not true. Um, but rioting, is it justified? Is, is it not? I'd like to have a healthy discussion about that at some point. But yeah, well, <laughs> you know. I mean, and the fact is that, it, that it's occurring and and uh you That's know right. what, whether it's justified like um uh, you know i think i think you, you mentioned different narratives and i read in the national review uh, an article about it which is a conservative publication talking about the different narratives that have existed throughout american history and uh or that we use to kind of frame our understanding our perspective of that history and uh you know like you said brandon it's interesting how the oppressed then becomes the oppressor and uh, and how can we, you know, avoid that from from occurring uh, again? How can we avoid continuing that oppression? And one of those uh, a couple of those perspectives, one is, you know, the, the, the heroic narrative, which is basically what you learn in, in kindergarten about the, the highlights of American history, about how uh, national uh, uh, Christopher Columbus discovered America. Uh, and then you grow up and you realize he was at, and actually a terrible person uh, and different things about the American revolution and, and things of that nature, basically that we just use as a teaching tool to, to teach kids the highlights, but it's not anything that anybody really advances uh, that America is all good. Uh, and then there's a couple other perspectives, but uh, two of the main ones that I see competing now are the, the union narrative, which is basically the, the Abraham Lincoln philosophy, which is that all men are created equal and, um, and advancing those freedoms uh, and liberties uh, that are written into the Constitution uh, and expanding that definition to include all people where it hasn't in the past. And uh, another narrative that we see kind of advanced by more academic uh, extremists, yeah, I don't even know what you would call them, but it's called the radical narrative. And that's where we're saying the whole thing needs to be overthrown uh, because it's never been good from the jump. Like, it's, it's always been tilted against brown, black and brown people. Uh, and so it is inherently flawed and uh, of no value. And so no, maybe no surprise, I subscribe to the union narrative, which is that all men are created equal and, and should have these liberties bestowed upon them just by virtue of living uh, and being born. But I also recognize that it hasn't been applied equally uh, among American citizens. And it's, it is vastly warped and problematic. Uh, but I don't think that we should flip over the entire system at all because I, I don't know where you would go from there. You would create another constitution that says the same things uh, mm. and just give power to, to different kinds of people. So I don't know. Uh, but that's, that's, again, that's a systemic conversation. And so, you know, we, we go from our, our police systems, our criminal justice systems, and now we're talking about democracy more broadly and how it's applied to, to the individual citizen. But uh, one of the ways, oh, another narrative that I forgot to mention is the black narrative, which is um, has been largely overlooked uh, tremendously mm. in education, in the church, uh, just in pop culture overall, uh, and minimizing the black experience and, and not talking about it. Um, and one of the reasons that I think you see a lot of 
support for the radical narrative, which is that America is inherently flawed, is because the union narrative or, or conservatives or, or white people in general haven't listened and they've actually been hostile to the black narrative. And so um, this article, one of my biggest grievances with, with it was that it kind of danced around, tiptoed, and it kind of uh, minimized that hostility and really didn't do a very good job of acknowledging it. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's the way that's the way that you get to, to peace and, and you can move forward and um, and actually pursue some you know reconciliation uh, is by listening and saying, hey, and, and copying to your your the, the things that you've been responsible for perpetuating. And uh, and one of those is the black narrative. And uh, I can't I don't think that we can just say, hey, you know, are bad for not listening. Uh, I think that there has to be real demonstrative um, action uh, more than just lip service uh, that demonstrates that we can be trusted. Cause I don't think that, that we've done anything to, to yeah. warrant trust. Mm-hmm. That, that is an interesting you know, point. I've said that I've said that before also. And I think that, you know, there is this video that's out there. There's a, there's a white reporter in Minneapolis, you know, during this time. And, um, He's talking to a, maybe he's 20 years old. That's being generous. This kid. And he says, uh, you know, what's it going to take to stop this madness? Basically is what he's saying, talking about the writing. And you can see this young man, he starts crying and he, and he's filled, he's just so frustrated and he's got tears and he goes, we didn't start this. He goes, it's the police that started this. He goes, we rely on them to protect us. And this is what they do. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we're there is such and, and, and here's what he's saying. He's sh- his voice is shaking. You can feel the quiver in his voice. Right. So angry. So upset. Right. Now, does that excuse the looting and the rioting and the setting things on fire and all of that stuff? Of course, it does not. What I'm asking, and I think what this young man is asking is saying, he's just saying, he's, he's just asking, hey, look, listen, this is more complicated than just us looting, <laughs> okay? It's, you know, and he's, and, and people have got to know, you know, you know it's wrong. But you, can you imagine, I mean, how, how many looting people do you need to have in a, in a whole town, in a city, to take over malls, to take over police stations, to take, I mean, literally, did they send out a memo? <laughs> you know what I mean? To say, hey, this is what we're going to do. No, that's how many black people are angry. That's how angry they are. And it's a shared collective anger, right? There was a black guy during the, the Watts riots, you know, when, uh, when uh, in, in, in the late 60s, you know, they were, or the mid 60s, whenever that happened, King was around and these guys were like, we don't want King to come here. We don't want him to bring his nonviolent philosophy over here because it isn't working. So we'd much rather burn down our own neighborhood so that people will start listening to us. That's how desperate it is. And people see it as an act that is cavalier, right? That it's irresponsible and that it's like, this is the, this is, this is the group of black people that are on the food stamps and look at what the white people are paying for them and their taxes, right? And at the end of the day, this is how, this is how dire the situation is. It doesn't make sense. It's completely irrational. Well, guess what? Damn it, neither did slavery. That shit didn't make sense either. <laughs> and yet it happened, you know, completely irrational. And then when it comes, and this is to your point, Mark, when it comes to systems change 
and literally being able to to really do something you know or 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 or, or say something or be a part of um to be a part of a movement where we can see real reform happen we've really got to start taking a good look at ourselves and the impetus or or the drivers for um uh creating programs right and so now I'm 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 actually saying if you're not willing to get your hands dirty and get into the conversation and get personal, then I don't need you creating a program. I just don't. You're not really about change. You're about pacifying or assuaging your own guilt and thinking that I can come alongside be and by and by being a part of your program make you feel better as a white person, right? For how you've gotten involved in systems change, right? We've done our best to make it better for the black and the brown people, right? Right? But you don't really know us and you haven't bothered to look, ask or go somewhere that would stretch your mind, stretch your experience. And I think that that's and and that is basically what what the problem is. As far as I'm 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 concerned that the people that are in power and have the opportunity to make changes don't actually know what changes to make outside of the academics that they meet with who don't meet with black and brown people either. They have no idea. They just send out surveys, right? <laughs> mm. And then get some responses and then create an entire doctrine and theories of change, you know? And that's not to come against higher ed entirely. I love academics. I'm, I am an academic. I really enjoy listening and reading, going through all those things. What I am saying is that it's not enough to have an idea. It's not enough to have an idea and then research that idea because there's no substitute for the experience and for immersion in the experience over time to understand the nuances of what it means and then be agents to have agency and then to be a, to be an agent of change and healing and reconciliation and then we can start to build programs right where we can see the manifestation of that forgiveness in a powerful way not just for this generation but for the next amen hmm. all right there we go <laughs> i made it up <laughs> uh no yeah that's exactly <laughs> right and um you know, being and evaluating kind of where, okay, where, where's my place in all this in the greater system, like, uh, and recognizing where, where do you go next? What are your barriers, uh, to entry into, into the conversation? A lot of it is probably is ignorance. And so, uh, spend some time getting, uh, doing some reading and, and learning and Googling and, uh, and also just showing up without saying anything. Just be there. If there's a, a rally in your area for George Floyd or, or any other uh, rally around a grievance or lament around a, a black death, uh, an unjust black death, then participate and, and show up. Uh, you don't even have to say anything. You just have to observe uh, and be there. Be a witness. Let your showing up be the witness. Uh, our actions say so much more than words even do. Uh, and I, I think it'll mean a lot uh just i think that'll be a big first step for a lot of people myself included mm -hmm. yeah i i completely agree with that socialize yourselves to what you don't understand mm. you know that's that's it you know um and be careful that you don't offer sympathy you know be careful that is not the most positive use <laughs> of the experience, right? You have to be there long enough 
can, and, and consistently enough and, 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 uh, and, and you have to be proximate enough, literally close enough um, to the people, not the problem, to the people. The people are not the problem. But you get close enough to the people so you can understand all of what ails, right? Um, and, and, and know that, that you can be curious and inquisitive about what their experience is, assuming the best, and then let that create a curiosity um, about your own self, right? And this is whether you're white or black, right? This is not, but, 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 the, the, but the, the real opportunity for this is if you're white in America, let's just be clear, you know? Um, black people have to be where you are, <laughs> you know? White mm -hmm. people, you don't always have to go where we are, right? So, um, but the real opportunity to, to really understand this, this pain and this generational trauma, right? is going to bump up against your sensibilities and you will feel fragile. You will feel a number of things. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to help. I don't know how to help. Um, uh, or you might even feel on the other extreme. This isn't a thing. White privilege isn't a thing. I'm not buying this narrative, right? Um, and I'm even, and I'll even say it, I'll come up against people like Candace Owens right now, you know, who I think you know, I, I think she's well-meaning, but I don't think she's nuanced enough in the conversation when you're giving, you know, the 400 characters on, on Twitter, right? Like, I, I find it hard to believe that she isn't, you know, tapped in, you know, to this issue, but she's been very strong. And I'll let you guys make up your mind about what it is that, that she's saying. Go to her Twitter and check it out. Candace Owens, at Candace Owens, whatever, and just check it out. I'm not trying to, I mean, but please don't follow her if you don't like what she has to say. So <laughs> in, in, in any regard, you know, like sympathy is not the thing. It really is being around long enough so that you can ask enough questions so that you can um, be more empathetic and therefore more open to changing yourself. And what if people that are in power and, and our decision makers started to become more interested in representation at the highest levels of government, representation at the highest levels of business, right? But we're still trying to convince people, you know, as black people that there's enough value there and there's enough intellect there, right? You don't have to fight, like, you, you don't have to hire me because I'm black. I'm already intelligent. But recognize that you don't hire me because I'm black, even though I am intelligent, even though I am capable. Let's just at least get that far. Yeah. Man, that's some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Sorry, Mark. I'm not coming for you. Yeah. No. No, <laughs> I don't feel came for. Uh, Good. <laughs> no, but I know that we're coming up on time. Uh, I'm also just taking notes and seeing where the good stuff is, so that I can share it later on social. There you uh, go. Just that you're whole. Gonna put me on, you're gonna put me on social. Oh my! Gonna put you on blast, my friend. Put get, yourself on social, man. Do get that. Get ready. Get ready. Put, people are gonna get mad at me. <laughs> They're gonna oh. get really upset with me. I'll put us both on there. We'll share the. That's we'll great. share the blame. Distribute. We'll the, share the load. We'll share, listen, Sam, Sam and Frodo together. That's right. Sam, awesome. Sam, Sam, Sam and Frodo or Neo and Morpheus. Yep. We're here. <laughs> we're out here. And it's probably better, a better analog. <laughs> yeah. So. There you go. Awesome, yeah. man. Awesome. Well, appreciate the conversation as always and uh, looking forward to the next time we can chat. Indeed. Same here. All right. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of 
Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, and then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then of course, if you think you had know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.